it's not that easy to meet the people involved in Iran's nuclear program. And that can be a problem, because if you want a diplomatic solution, you do sort of need to know what the other side wants, who they are, how they think. Richard Stone also wanted to know how people in Iran think. He's a science reporter. In 2015, he was writing for Science Magazine. Covering the Iranian nuclear program and the interactions with the International Atomic Energy Agency. And there was one guy Richard really, really wanted to talk to, named Ali Salehi. President of the Atomic Energy Organization, which was his current capacity in August 2015 when I first met him. In the entire story of the Iran deal, Salehi is one of the most important and inaccessible figures. He's a household name in Iran. He's the head of the nuclear energy program. He also has political connections to the supreme leader. I I mean, I tried every avenue to interview Dr. Salehi. I contacted the Atomic Energy Organization. I contacted every single Iranian scientist I knew, and nobody could put me in contact with him. Until... I was in a room with a... A group of scientists. Richard was interviewing some scientists at a university in Tehran. And I see this physicist uh, has the same last name, Salahi. And I'm wondering to myself, well, maybe Salahi in Iran is like Smith here. And uh, is there any possibility they could be related? Turns out it was Ali Salahi's brother. So I asked him, is there any possibility that I could interview your older brother? (laughs) And he said, let me look into it. A couple of days later, Richard found himself in a taxi on his way to the headquarters of Iran's nuclear energy program. He was alone. Kinda. You know, they they watch journalists pretty closely over there. So I was sure they were watching me pretty closely. So I got out of the taxi. I went through the security. I I go through an x-ray scanner and there is a a little kind of... printed sign saying no cell phones. And I'm like, well, I need my cell phone to record the interview. That was what I I planned to use. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep my cell phone. And this inaccessible man at the head of Iran's nuclear energy program? It turns out... Very personable guy and uh, very polite and warm warm person. And so I pull out my cell phone. I I said, do you mind if I record the interview? And he was fine with that. Richard Stone's interview with Ali Salahi was a scoop, no doubt about it. He was the first Western journalist to interview Salahi after the deal was signed. As he looks around Salahi's office, he notices something. On the wall of Dr. Salahi's office, there were five framed portraits. And underneath the portraits was a bouquet of roses in, in, in a vase, red roses. And I asked him about it, and he said, yeah, those are our nuclear martyrs. Five scientists that scientists were assassinated. Were assassinated. Uh, this is their pictures? Oh. Some were killed with car bombs. One was gunned down, picking up his daughter from kindergarten. Most experts think Israel carried out these attacks in a covert campaign to halt Iran's nuclear weapons program. Does um, these 
depths, does that cast a shadow on international collaboration? Do scientists feel nervous about coming out and meeting counterparts from overseas? No, it's uh, being Muslims. Uh, we do not look upon it as like you have lost your life, but you have gained martyrdom and we live in eternity. So, uh, The threat so of being killed in a politically motivated attack did not scare off Iran's nuclear scientists. In fact, it had the opposite effect. He said, as a result of the deaths of these scientists, they had a lot more interest among young Iranians to become nuclear scientists. In the sense that many students who were studying in other fields, like electrical engineering, after this happened, they changed their, their field into nuclear engineering. It inspired engineering. them. Yeah, actually. inspired them, yes. So uh, this is the kind of aspiration we have. This is the kind of... This is the position Salahi was in as the head of Iran's nuclear energy program. Sanctions and assassinations made the Iranians more determined to push forward, which only led to more sanctions and assassinations. A deal could put an end to this cycle of escalation. U.S. Ambassador Wendy Sherman described the Iran nuclear deal as a Rubik's Cube. This was a Rubik's Cube. There were many pieces to this puzzle, and if the last piece didn't click into place, there would be no agreement. So it wasn't like you were 20% of the way there or 80% of the way there. It was binary. For some people, solving a Rubik's Cube seems impossibly complicated. And if that's you, you look at someone who can solve one like they have some kind of superpower. But in reality, people who solve the cube are just people who know how to do it. It's a pattern. You break it down into a series of steps, individual problems to solve until it's all figured out. As the Iran nuclear deal got closer, both countries needed people who knew how to break down all the steps and solve them in the right sequence. And that's where Ali Salahi came in. This is The Deal, the story of the Iran nuclear deal, how it came together, how it fell apart, and what that means for the rest of us. You're listening to Episode 3, The Scientists. The interim deal that was reached in Geneva at the end of 2013 was supposed to last six months. But almost two years later, negotiations on a comprehensive deal to replace it were stuck. The negotiators were really struggling with the technical aspects of reaching this agreement. The people involved with the deal were world-class diplomats, but their expertise was in policy, not centrifuges or reactors or isotopes. They needed to pass the baton. They needed a scientist. So the former Mr. Zarif asked Salahi if he would participate, try to try to get them over the hump. I said, you must be joking. I said, uh, Zarif has done his best, I know. So what can I do? What more can I do that Zarif has not done? And I said, well, politically, that means if I join the negotiation now, and if we fail, then the whole responsibility will... (laughs) Fall on your shoulders. ...will be on my shoulder. That look, even he went there and... He was being asked to stick his neck out in a big way. I said, okay, I will go. He agreed to go. uh, In condition. On one condition. That my counterpart also participates at the meeting. 
that the Iranian side ask the U.S. side for his counterpart to join as well. He wanted to negotiate with his American equivalent. I said, if he comes, I will go. If he doesn't come, I will not go. So the way Salahi told the story, Zarif contacted Wendy Sherman, said, um, we would like Dr. Salahi to take part in negotiations on the condition that Dr. Moniz also join. Dr. Moniz is Dr. Ernie Moniz. At the time, he is the U.S. Secretary of Energy. Like Salahi, he is a nuclear scientist. Unlike Salahi, he has really great hair. A killer 70s bob. Okay, uh, do you want me to uh, wear these earphones or not? Secretary Moniz spoke to us over Zoom from his house in Brookline, Massachusetts. He said that he had been peripherally involved in the Iran negotiations since he started as energy secretary in 2013. The Department of Energy was providing scientific and technical support to the negotiating team. So a quick note, the word energy in Department of Energy, that is kind of a euphemism. In 2015, the DOE spent about $3.5 billion on the line item called energy. It spent three times more on nuclear weapons, almost $12 billion. Moniz's title was Secretary of Energy, but more than anything else, he was Secretary of the Bomb. So in the Iran deal, Moniz helped out in the background. But he didn't ever expect to take part in the political gymnastics themselves. He's a scientist, not a diplomat. The change in this arrangement really came in early February. That's February 2015. I was told initially by Wendy Sherman that the president had decided that I should pack my bags and be in Geneva uh, in a few days to enter the negotiation. He was off to join Salahi at the negotiating table. These two figures, Moniz and Salahi, were both super accomplished nuclear scientists. They were also both high-level government officials, which was pretty lucky. Usually, these jobs are filled with political appointees, but Moniz and Salahi had real scientific jobs. They also had something else in common. Salahi and I were together at MIT in the 1970s. His PhD advisor is a very good friend of mine. Salahi had been a graduate student in nuclear engineering. At the same time, Moniz was a professor in the physics department. They had lots of mutual acquaintances and plenty to talk about. Not just mutually assured extinction stuff, like regular human stuff. In our first meeting, he noted that his first grandchild, a granddaughter, was born during our meeting. So for the second meeting, I went back with some presents for the baby. Uh, One was a pink onesie for a baby girl, the kind of thing you find in an MIT bookstore with the symbols of two atomic elements on it. We can have this as a brief test for the readership when I say that the symbols were for copper and tellurium. Not letting too much time go by to think through the answer, of course, the symbol for copper is C-U and tellurium T-E. So this was like a typical bad MIT joke. But Salahi, of course, loved it. (laughs) C-U-T-E. It is kind of cute, actually. Thanks to a shared alma mater and some corny science humor, the negotiations got a second wind. But that 
didn't mean the collaboration would be easy. Salahi was a tough negotiator. He actually used to be Iran's foreign minister. And he was being asked to live with restrictions on Iran's nuclear program. His nuclear program. To state it crudely, it was his enterprise that was going to be severely diminished. In a lot of deals, diplomats can work out the big picture in a few pages, sign the deal, then leave the little details to be worked out later, letting technical experts figure it out as they go along. Not possible with this deal. They couldn't just limit exactly how many centrifuges Iran can have, or just put a limit on how many they can make or store. They also had to put restrictions on things like the tools used to make the centrifuges, flow-forming machines, filament-winding machines, mandrels. It was quite a long, drawn-out, intense effort. The negotiations last for months. Take a moment to picture it. You have Moniz and Salahi and their assistants, and John Kerry and Iran's foreign minister Javad Zarif and all of their assistants, Wendy Sherman and her counterparts from Iran and the P5 Plus One, and all of their assistants. And all of these people are basically living for big stretches of time in hotels in whatever European city is able to accommodate them. It's not like you had planned out, you know, four or five dates in a row. We would see how a negotiation went, see what we had to do, and then decide upon uh, the next meeting and the next meeting date and get the venue. As they moved from hotel to hotel, Moniz and Salahi were trying to find technical solutions to really tough political problems. But the way we entered it was to try to understand really what our red lines were. I absolutely needed some things. He absolutely needed some things. And the question was, did that leave any solution space? They had a process. They spoke during the day and came up with ideas for how to solve some of the technical problems. At night, they parted ways and went over the details with their negotiating teams. Moniz would then send the information back to the United States and go to bed. Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in California would model various scenarios while he slept. The next day, Moniz would wake up in Switzerland, look at what the models said, and return to the negotiating table with Salahi for round two or ten or wherever they were. I estimate that we had something like 65 or 70 hours of one-on-one meetings uh, over over the course of the negotiations. It's a lot of time, and that's where we could really, uh, really hammer things out. To be able to do that, it of course means that we reached, at least at the personal level, a level of trust that we could negotiate uh, in good faith, that we were true to our word. Moniz and Salahi actually became pretty close. I got the feeling that as if we know each other for so long, I didn't feel that we are strange to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of these kind of very human interactions that defined these two men. They were able to transcend all these political pressures that both sides were certainly coming under. We tried both to be rational and logical and fair. I thought, well, I'm going to Mission Impossible, but it was Mission Impossible. That's kind of the point of Mission Impossible. Even if Tom Cruise is hanging there by his fingernails with no possibility of escape, he's going to make it. (laughs) 
let me give you an example of how the scientists thought differently than everyone else in the room. Each country came to the negotiations with various red lines. One U.S. red line is that Iran could not, under any circumstance, be allowed to enrich uranium at the underground plant called Fordo, the one buried so deeply that most U.S. bombs can't reach it. The Iranian red line is that they put Fordo and its thousands of centrifuges deep underground precisely so the U.S. couldn't bomb it. It wasn't cheap, and they aren't giving it up under any circumstance. These two red lines, you can't have it versus we aren't giving it up, seems like those would cancel each other out. Unless you're Salahi and Moniz. Their answer? You can do this totally different thing with centrifuges, something that isn't uranium enrichment, specifically a process called stable isotope separation. Iran could use the centrifuges to separate isotopes other than uranium ones. Is stable isotope separation, like, incredibly useful? No, not really. That is not the point. The point is that Ernie Moniz can go back to President Obama and say, in our agreement, we got what you asked for. Iran will stop enriching uranium at Fordo. And Ali Salahi, he can go back to Iran's supreme leader and say, we were able to keep all of the centrifuges at Fordo and preserve the country's scientific progress. The deal is full of intricate, nerdy workarounds like this. Moniz and Salahi worked out one technical compromise after another, which would then have to be implemented by their experts in the United States and Iran. Experts like Corey Hinderstein. I was asked to join and then lead the task force at the Department of Energy that was responsible for implementing the nuclear-related activities of the deal. Yep. That's the same Corey Hinderstein who found Natanz and another Iranian facility back in 2002. I couldn't have imagined sitting in December of 2002 that one day I would be in the office responsible for implementing a nuclear deal with Iran. I was managing the people responsible for all the different pieces, everything from the verification and monitoring to the conversion of the facility that was using all that heavy water they were producing at the Iraq plant that we found on that first satellite image. Moniz and Salahi solved the Rubik's Cube, one side after another. Step by step, problem by problem. Until it's finished. And that was it. At this point, the baton passed back to the diplomats. It was quite extraordinary. This is Ambassador Wendy Sherman again. After Ernie Moniz and Ali Salahi filled in the nuclear physics, the diplomats met privately to celebrate and reflect. Secretary Kerry used the points that we had drafted for him, but then he let the paper fall to the table and he spoke about having been a young man at 24 who went to Vietnam and got a Purple Heart and came back to protest against the very war in which he had fought because he believed it was so important for that war to end. And he said with his voice trembling and the room utterly silent that for him, this deal was about no more war. You could hear a pin drop. And then with tears in many of our eyes, everybody, including the Iranians, applauded. 
Now, maybe it was just in the moment, but it sort of spoke to, we actually can find our way through years of negotiations to a breakthrough, but it takes staggeringly hard work and one can get these very, very, very difficult things done. It's fair to say the Americans believe they had prevented another war, like Iraq or Vietnam, where young people died needlessly. It's hard to know what Ali Salahi might have felt in this moment. We asked for an interview, but didn't get a response. I imagine he was thinking about the portraits of those assassinated nuclear scientists on his office wall. What do you want to be known for in the future after you die? Your most important achievement. What do I want to be known for? I want to be known for as a person who has done good for mankind. That's it. Do you think this agreement, nuclear agreement, will be remembered that way? This is one, one small step towards that goal. Whatever I can do for the good of mankind, whether that mankind is my people, the people of the region, the people of the international community, it doesn't matter. We look at it as a, uh, for humans. Today, after two years of negotiations, The United States, together with our international partners, has achieved something that decades of animosity has not. A comprehensive long-term deal with Iran that will prevent it from obtaining a nuclear weapon. This deal demonstrates that American diplomacy can bring about real and meaningful change. Change that makes our On the same day the P5 plus one signed the deal in Vienna, Obama announced it from the White House. It immediately ignited a political firestorm. This hearing will come to order. Today, we continue our review of the nuclear agreement the Obama administration reached with Iran. A couple of weeks later, Moniz and Kerry are pulled into a six-hour testimony in front of the Republican-led Congress. Well, Chairman, uh, Chairman Royce, Ranking Member Engel, and all the members of the committee, thank you very, very much. We genuinely appreciate the opportunity to be here to, frankly, clear up a lot of uh, uh, misinterpretation, some element of public distortion that exists out there. And throughout the hearing, Moniz and Kerry do their best to lay out the facts of the deal. Moniz even tries to explain some of the science. I'll start with the last question then, if I may. Uh, Well, first of all, technically on the half-life, the... uh, the half-life of the dominant uranium isotope is roughly the age of the Earth, which is why it still exists in the Earth, uh, and uh, that of the uranium-235, which is the isotope that uh, you would want... It's to a noble effort, weapon. but I'm not sure any members of Congress walked away with an understanding of isotopic half-lives. For a lot of Republicans, and even some Democrats in Congress, none of the explanations mattered anyway. The debate became about something else. Do you trust Iran? Do you trust Obama? Why should the American people uh, trust the administration now uh, on this deal? We're not asking them to trust. We're asking them to read the deal and look at the components. As I've said many times, nothing in this deal is built on trust. Anytime, anywhere inspections. But I'd submit that Iran is not a normal country. In fact, Iran is a terrorist state under heavy international sanctions. 
It's neither got the moral nor the geopolitical equal uh, of the United States or our negotiating partners, and I think we have to stop treating it like one. But can I just say something? You know, we hear these complaints. We hear, well, this agreement doesn't do this. doesn't stop their terror. This agreement's going to give them some money. This agreement's going to do this. What this agreement is supposed to do is stop them from having a nuclear weapon. Now, I want to hear somebody tell me how they're going to uh, do that we're going to go without to, uh, this agreement. Mr. Like Secretary, we're going to go to Mr. William Keating of Massachusetts. Not everyone wants the crisis to end. Solving the nuclear crisis means sanctions come off Iran. I'm going to show you how President that's going George to happen. Bush, let me I'm just going to show you right now how that's going President to happen, Mr. George Secretary. Bush. You've answered my question. I'm going to show you how that's going to happen. The sanctions have crippled Iran. If we ratchet them up, you can bring Iran to its knees where it cannot financially function. That's well, how to do it because it's, it's proof that it's let been me, done. Let me just tell you. I suggest and I really the deal means the U.S. isn't actively trying to overthrow the Iranian government. We want to push back. We want them to stop their naughty ways. But regime change, I mean, I personally think the best hope for the world for safety, including in Iran, is for the people of Iran to have free elections and that the people of Iran really decide who their government should be in a, in a free setting. The deal works. It prevents a war. And for a lot of people, that's the problem. Moniz and John Kerry are ready for the backlash from Republicans in Congress. They expect it. That's politics, at least in the U.S. But it's not just members of Congress who are lining up against the deal. Outside the U.S., opponents are lining up too. A government that assassinates Iranian scientists isn't going to be impressed by Ernie and Ali's clever solutions. They have other plans. They're going to kill the deal. Tonight, we are going to reveal new and conclusive proof that Iran lied. Big time. The Deal is produced by me, Jeffrey Lewis, along with Aaron Davis, Mitchell Johnson, and Juliet Luini, with additional support from Ellie Barney. Our editorial advisor is Julia Barton, and our original score is by Hannes Brown. Special thanks to Richard Stone for letting us use his audio recordings of his interviews with Ali Salahi. You can read his interview with Salahi, as well as his other reporting on the Iran deal, in Science Magazine. Subscribe to The Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, you can rate and review the show. I'm Jeffrey Lewis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>